0: let's um spend a few minutes on um our dear and lost to us but important to us forever brianna taylor uh and the recent decision that the attorney general articulated that basically none of the police did anything um illegal wrong or actionable and that the only things that were actionable were shooting into the air and some other people's apartments that that was a concern and then. You know all of the protests that have emerged in Kentucky and um, since then. Did you want to sort of give us a sense of what you're thinking about um, about this moment and you know how we can wrestle with the loss of Breonna Taylor, both as a real human being, a young woman who had her life in front of her um, and was on track and just what seemed like a lovely spirit, but at the same time the loss that that she also represents.
1: Absolutely. I mean, for me, it's important to keep the focus on why the brothers and sisters of all colors are in the streets. They are there because they have a deep love for Brianna Taylor. They have a deep love for Tamika, her precious mother, for Troy, her precious father, and other people who have been killed by police, disproportionately chocolate. So begin with her. Yes, she's black. And it's not just her black lives matter. Her black lives is profoundly precious and priceless. And we hit the streets because when we hear rationalizations, once again, even when it's from a brilliant conservative black brother, I think we ought to be ashamed of rationalizing this kind of murder because he talks about truth and evidence. But his mentor, Mitch McConnell, ain't got nothing to do with truth, ain't got nothing to do with evidence. It's gangsters dead up. So when he talks about truth in that way, people are looking at him in a certain way. No, no, no. Have you really presented all the evidence? What are the lens through which you look at the evidence? Why is it when the bullets go through the white side, the white neighbors, that particular policeman gets indicted, but when you actually kill a precious Black sister, they walk away free? This is a reproduction of the same kind of lack of justice when it comes to Black people. But all of a sudden, the deeper concern of the nuances and subtleties of the law, vis-a-vis those on the, on, on the vanilla side of town. You see? Right. So people who don't understand the anger and righteous indignation that that generates, they're just cold. They don't really have the deep kind of care of Black folk. I'm not saying Brother Cameron doesn't have a, a care of Black folk. I think he does. You could see the struggle in his own presentation mm-hmm that's but true but his own mother he yeah. was as precious as anybody else yeah but he also knows he's playing a particular role and function and that's what people are going after his decision and going after the racist system in which we find ourselves
0: yeah yeah i mean there's no question that um, we should stay focused on why people are in the streets and it is both the specificity of the losses that people are feeling now But it's also it's like a categorical loss it's like a ritual that's being played out over and over again where extensive discretion is being given to the police to enact what is state-sponsored violence and disregard of black human beings over and over and over again and then the use of a very narrow interpretation of the law and the use of extra discretionary contexts for analysis and the normalization of the idea of black people as criminals work all together to continue to reproduce this kind of outcome. So it's both about Brianna, right, and her family and that specific location, and it's about a collective experience. That's like saying that Ida B. Wells was only interested in the one last lynching that happened. She's interested in the history of lynching as a practice, as a collective zeitgeist, as a way of understanding what is acceptable and why. And so we want to do both of those things, I think. We want to keep our eye on the fact that This is an important emphasis on a black woman, which has not taken root, as you mentioned earlier, has not taken root in, in the national imagination as much as it should have in the past. But at the same time, it's a broader thing. Where were the cameras? Where is the things that they're supposed to be doing? Why are they not accountable to anything? Again, it's, it's the familiarity. It's the repetition. It's the, it's the common sets of, of excuses that they get away with that is part of the bursting frustration, sadness, and, and anger.
1: Absolutely. And I come back to your point about the centrality of Black women being at the center of righteous indignation, because there's been a tendency to, uh, to accent we Black brothers, and we need to accent both. But this particular moment, I think, is going to be one in which we have more of a egalitarian focus in terms of who are being, who's actually being victimized and brutalized and murdered by some of these policemen out of control who never end up going to jail, right, never end right. up having any accountability. You know, yeah. it's like, my God.
0: My no, God. It's, it's appalling. And then, you know, my feeling is that there's always this sort of pressure that activists who want to fight for racial justice are obligated to eschew violence of all kinds. Right. As if, you know, these two cops getting shot should receive the same kind of attention and concern that the what the protesters are protesting about, you know, are actually asking for. And I'm just wondering, you know, I'm of mixed mind, because, of course, I don't want nobody out here getting shot. You know, I certainly don't support the shooting of the police. I'm not for that. I'm against that. But there's something about the idea that these two things are equal and that in order for you to even have any credibility as a protester, you got to somehow act like the cops don't have this massive advantage. And you're supposed to be just as concerned about them. And if you're not, then you're not really anti-violence. You know, it just feels hypocritical to me, even though in principle, I don't disagree, but it makes me want to disagree.
1: <laughs> you no, know what I'm I, saying? I, I think both of us, though, we're on this tightrope in terms of- We, we sure are
0: a, on the tightrope.
1: We want to hold on to our morality and ethical integrity and say, we don't want anybody shocked. But at the same time, we want to tell the truth and say, we notice that when the powerful engage in violence, we don't have a whole lot of voices in in high places. But when the vulnerable engage in violence, they get crushed like cockroaches. They get the major highlight and spotlight as if their lives have less value. So when they want to defend themselves, Lo and behold, they don't have access to certain kinds of behavior. But when the powerful want to defend themselves, this is true for individuals, it's true for nations. All these nations, we did it out of self-defense. Why'd you end up killing all these people? Why you end up killing all these innocent people? Why you end up killing all these babies out of self-defense? Oh, really? And then when they fight back, lo and oh, behold- Oh, then
0: they're ramping hordes they're the of, of dangerous forces.
1: The most immoral folk in the world, how dare you engage in violence? You know that violence is wrong. Violence never solves anything. Well, we notice that you don't have too much to say when it's violent from above. So we're just trying to be like Martin Luther King Jr., Fannie Lou Hamer. We want consistency on that tightrope. And therefore, we find ourselves trying to be true to something that's bigger than all of us, which Mm. is justice. Uh,